Hello, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Blood, Fear, and Beer, the podcast where we drink beer and talk about horror movies. I'm Alicia. I'm Greg. And we have two delicious frosty beers in front of us just waiting to be consumed. It's very enticing. Very. Yours is a very frothy, refreshing-looking beer. What is that? It's a heady beer. This is a little number by the Pizza Port Brewing Company out of Carlsbad, California, which happens to be one of the uh, favorite breweries of a friend of ours, Brian Ball. And uh, I know we've gotten their amber quite a few times, and yeah. it's a really great amber if you like those. One. So I have not tried this one. It's called Campgrounds IPA. How is it's a good it? IPA. Is it? Oh, thank goodness. It's always a gamble when I get you a new beer that's not stone. I never know what's going to happen. Coffee as hell. <laughs> I probably won't like it then, right? No, I don't think so. Okay. I'd like to try it. Because yeah, you it, can try it. It's a beautiful color. It looks very foamy and delicious. Oh, that is extremely bitter. Yeah. Wow. I didn't expect that. I didn't either. It's good, though. I like it. That's good. But I'm glad you like it. No, that's uh, it's unpleasant. What are you drinking tonight? Bitter. I got myself a white ale. I love white ales. And I didn't realize until after I bought it that this was from the Bell's Brewing Company. So I had one of their beers, I think it was just last week or two weeks ago. Two weeks, like, two weeks ago, I had the Bohemian Pilsner from them. And it was pretty good. And this one is called the Bright White Belgian-Inspired Wheat Ale. Very nice. It's definitely not overwhelming with the orange or the coriander. It's just a light, crisp, nice beer. Hmm. You want to try it? Yeah. Yeah. It's nice, right? Yeah, that's a really refreshing beer. That's what I was going for. I dig it. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I'm super excited to talk about this movie. I'm not surprised. I love the shit out of this movie. It's pretty good. It really is, especially, I feel like I'm a little bit biased for a couple reasons. One, as you know, I am just a complete sucker for cheesy 80s horror. Yes, you are. I cannot get enough of it. (laughs) So this is like, I'm pretty sure this is what started that for me. If it wasn't this, it was probably Poltergeist. But I kind of think it might have been this. You think this was the one, huh? I think it might have been the one. Like that just specifically got you into 80s horror? I think it got me into 80s horror. And I think it also had a huge hand in just getting me into horror. Because this was actually one of my first real horror movies that I ever saw with my dad. So, you know, when I came to him and I was like, hey, I want to, like, get into horror movies. And I want to watch something scary. And I want to, like join you one of these nights where you're down here by yourself like watching a scary movie so when he decided like we're gonna watch all the classics all these slashers all the shit that he loved when he was younger this was like one of the first ones that i saw and you loved it initially loved it i don't remember being scared by it and i feel like my parents are super lucky because that was a huge gamble to take because i know so many people who were completely traumatized by freddy krueger as a kid to the point where like they could not watch a horror movie for years and years and years so yeah they were like, as a parent that's a risky thing because like it's a gamble you're really especially <laughs> that one because you know like we were talking about your mom being scared of jaws like maybe you don't want to take a bath or go swimming or something like that but you with, have to sleep yeah and you're <laughs> like you don't want your kid to be up all fucking night long because they're afraid to sleep yeah i think for me it was like jokes on you because i already don't sleep because I have insomnia and I'm nine so he can't get me because I don't sleep but I actually have I think maybe another reason why it intrigued me so much is because for as long as I can remember and even before I can remember I have always had nightmares and I like everybody has nightmares but it's always been excessive for me like my parents will tell me even when I was a baby they were almost positive that I was like waking up from bad dreams all the time when I was a baby. You've been anxious ever since you were a kid. Since I exited the womb, I have been anxious. I think even before that, because I didn't want to come out. (laughs) (laughs) 
I was like sideways balled up. At one point, I had the cord wrapped around my neck like I did not want to come out. (laughs) But I've always had nightmares. As you know, you've had to wake me up countless times. I've had to, it's really embarrassing sometimes. Like if I spend the night at a friend's house, I have to warn them like, hey, just so you know, I have nightmares all the time. If you see me like freaking out, just wake me up. Like the first time I ever spent the night at Nicole's house, I warned her about that. And lo and behold, I had a nightmare, freaked out, and she had to wake me up. I and that was the beginning of our friendship. Probably every single one of your friends has <laughs> They've <to> all, <laughs> They all have definitely, like without a doubt, every single one of my friends that I can think of has had to wake me up from a nightmare. But given the subject matter of this movie, I thought it would be fun for you and I to talk about some of our quote-unquote favorite nightmares that we've had. Sure, and you want to start? Yes. This was really hard for me because I've had so many. It was hard to narrow it down to just a few. And there are also some that I just don't feel comfortable talking about because they're either just over the top gruesome or just like really sad and fucked up and I don't want to talk about it. Yeah. But I tried to pick out some that are like kind of fun but still scary. So some of my earliest memories that I have are actually nightmares that I had in the first house that my family and I ever lived in. And we moved out of this house when I was three years old. So these are all memories I have from before I was three of nightmares that I've had. That's cool. Yeah, so (laughs) my earliest memories are nightmares. (laughs) (laughs) Like for real, and I still remember them for some reason. I guess like your brain is so malleable at that stage that some shit just sticks with you. But the first one that I actually... Uh, there's some there's a scene in this movie that I was tripping balls the first time I saw it and every time I watched it after because I had like a nightmare just like this. So in this house, my parents had, I want to say they had a king-sized bed, either that or it was just so big to me as a kid, I assumed it was a king-size. And when I would sit in the middle of this bed, it felt like I was practically swimming in it. It was so big. And they had behind their bed, like this piece of furniture that went over their bed with a mirror on the back of it. So if I sat in the middle of the bed, I could see myself in this mirror. I had more than one dream where I was sitting in their bed looking at myself in the mirror in that house. But there was this one in particular where I'd walked in their bedroom and I was sitting in the middle of the bed watching myself in the mirror. And then all of a sudden I start sinking into the middle of the bed. And I'm watching this happen in the mirror so I could see like the blankets start to fold in and I can see myself sinking down and I'm being like pulled into the bed just sinking in and I start to panic and of course this bed's already so big because I'm like two years old and I'm trying to like grab onto the blankets but then they're loose so they just keep getting pulled in and I end up just getting sucked into the bed like slowly sinking in. Wow. It scared the shit out of me. So that reminded me like Glenn's death in the movie when he gets pulled into his bed when I saw that I was like dude, I had that dream. And then same with Get Out, where he goes into the sunken place. Oh, yeah. That's like what it felt like, where you could see like the room up above you and you're just sinking down. That's crazy. I wonder how many three-year-olds remember their nightmares. I want to know, because there are a couple that I don't even have time to mention that I had in that house. I think they're pretty unique. You think so? Yeah. It's pretty weird. Like, I still remember them so vividly. There was another one I had that totally... It's, like, really silly when I talk about it, but when you're a kid, silly things are scary. But I really liked Sesame Street, in particular Cookie Monster. And my mom had spent the whole day, like, she got all this stuff for my room and she put up like these murals on my wall of like all the Sesame Street characters and then right over my bed was this massive cookie monster. And the day that she put those up, I still remember I had a nightmare where I woke up in my bed (laughs) and I'm looking up at this cookie monster thing and all of a sudden I feel really scared of it like it's watching me and I just like kind of pull the covers up and then all of a sudden this thing like comes off the wall and like lunges at me in my bed 
So, of course, I wake up absolutely screaming. I'm inconsolable. I'm crying. I'm like, the cookie monster came alive. And then my (laughs) poor mom had spent, like, the whole day putting that up. She had to take it down. I never let it get put up again, ever. But, like, the night she put it up, I had a nightmare about this thing, like, coming alive and trying to kill me in my bed. I think that's a pretty common thing for kids. Yeah. they have something in their room or a poster or something like that. Especially because it was, like, a new thing that hadn't been there before. So that one's not super surprising. (laughs) Did you want to tell me a couple of years? Yeah, you know, I think I blocked some of them out and I now I've had some pretty fucked up nightmares and then I've had quite a few. I know you have as well as the um, sleep paralysis. Sleep paralysis type Oh, of that's shit. the worst. Yeah, that was pretty fucked up until you figure out what it is. And then it's just kind of, it's still fucked up yeah. but you're like, okay. But you can train yourself. Yeah, but how to when like you don't know what it is body. initially, like that's some fucked up shit. Yeah, that's not fun. I was thinking back and I know that I, all the way from like middle school, all throughout high school, and then probably into shortly after high school as well. I, I don't really know when it stopped or who knows, maybe it hasn't, maybe it'll come back tonight. I've had a, it's not a reoccurring dream, mm-hmm. it's a continuing dream. Oh, and no so, way. and it's kind of the situation where it makes you question your reality yeah. Because especially when it would happen more frequently, if you're dreaming every night or dreaming on a regular basis, it really makes you question which one's the real one. Yeah. Am I dreaming the thing I'm dreaming or is the reality my dream? I was living in a completely different place in a completely different neighborhood. I've never seen it, never knew the house, none of this type of stuff. I had some of the same family members, but not all the same, and many of the family members had different personalities in the dream than they did in real life. My family structure was different. So there's a lot of things that were very different and it made it less like a typical dream, if you will, where it was just like, you know, your family inserted here or something yeah, like that. It's like and an it alternate wasn't, universe. And they weren't over the top either. They were just different. You know, it wasn't like they were overbearing or anything super unusual. But what happened is I had accidentally killed somebody. Oh shit. And I was Again, in like middle school or something like that. And it was the type of situation where it was a complete accident. And I don't even know if I was 100% responsible for it. There was some kind of car crash type of situation. And it wasn't so much that I killed them as I didn't help them. I think this person had gotten into a car crash or some type of accident. And I didn't know what to do. And I spent like a long time thinking about it. And I went back home and didn't do anything about it. And then I came back the next day and the person was still like suffering. And then I went to go get help. And then I was afraid that since I didn't go get help initially that I was going to get in trouble. And by the time I did anything the person was dead oh man and then i was really afraid that i was going to have dna evidence because i think i had actually like brought the person like food and water and stuff like that and then i was terrified that something was going to happen initially and over time nothing happened but then things would just kind of develop and people will start to ask questions about like oh where were you that day or blah 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 and it would be really innocent but i would get really terrified because i thought they were catching on to what i had done and then I would wake up, but then I'd go back to sleep and I would basically continue continue on. But I wouldn't continue at the same place. I would continue however much older I am from that point. So it literally spans probably the course of, I would say, at least eight years of time that passed. And I grew and I had gone to college. I had graduated. I had a different job. I, you know, family members had passed away. I had things happen in that universe. And then at some point there was more DNA evidence or something and they were starting to catch on to me. And I had already pretty much like forgotten about it or blocked it out of what had actually happened. And I was just kind of living in this parallel or, you know, simultaneous universe. And I got 
really terrified, and then I was, like, on the run. All kinds of crazy shit. Oh, man. Those are the kind of nightmares that seriously ruin your day. Yeah. Like, you feel almost violated when you wake up. Like, what the hell just happened? Nothing feels real. You feel off the entire day. That had to be super upsetting. It's very disorientated. Yeah. I've had other situations that weren't necessarily continued in that fashion, but I'll let you get to your next one. I have had a couple, not anywhere near like to that degree where I would fall asleep and then continue the dream, but I have had dreams that spanned like months or years. And then by the time I wake up, I just want to cry, not only from relief, but just like horror. Yeah. So crazy what our brains do. So I had a lot of dreams when I was a kid about being kidnapped. And that was my absolute number one fear was being taken away from my parents, like being abducted. And I 100%, she's not listening, so don't worry, blame my grandmother. It's her fault. (laughs) She put the fear in me. She's super paranoid. She made me super paranoid. She would always say, like, watch out. Somebody's going to grab you. Somebody's going to take you, blah, blah, blah. Just putting it in my head that if I make one wrong move, I'm going to be kidnapped. So I was terrified all the time. So (laughs) I used to have dreams about being kidnapped all the time. And there was one in particular that I still remember, and it was like really long and drawn out where it sounds funny now, but it was so scary when I was a kid. I was maybe eight or nine when I had this dream where my entire family, so mom, dad, brother, me, and our cat were all kidnapped. And we were like brought to this guy's house and we were all stuck in a room together. And I was the one in the dream who was like plotting our escape and trying to figure out how I'm going to get my family out of this and how I'm going to escape and what I have to do. And so much time went by where we were just in this room and we could hear this guy like walking around the house and then he would come in. And then at first I was trying like different tactics. So I was like, okay, first I'm going to be super aggressive and I'm going to like cuss at this guy and scream at him. And I was yelling like, you piece of shit, Bucky. Like nine-year-old me in my dream thinking like, okay, what would freak this guy out to hear like coming from a kid? That didn't work. So then I started being like super polite to him and super nice. And I ended up like charming him into trusting us to leaving us alone longer. So, and my mom would watch court TV like 24 seven. So I was like a young murderino. Like I knew all this shit because (laughs) I was constantly trying not to get kidnapped. So I knew all this stuff. I would be like planning our escape and it would take like days to do this. So I'd like gather my family around and be like, okay, here's where he goes at this time. Here's what we're going to do. And then our cat, which I had the best cat in the world for like 20 years. And we brought her everywhere with us. We brought her on vacation. Whatever we do as a family, she would always be right in the middle. So in this dream, she's like right in the middle sitting there, (laughs) just like hanging out with us. So I was like, okay, we can't forget Kitty. We have to bring the Kitty. Like, (laughs) Okay, so it sounds so funny, but it was so scary. But the dream ended with all of us running out of the house. I had the cat under my arm. I was like holding on to my brother. We got in this car, the guy's car. And then I could see he was like running out of the house, like chasing us. And I was driving. And I drove us away. (laughs) And we got away, but it was so scary. Good job, nine-year-old Lisa. Thank you. (laughs) I had a lot of dreams like that when I was really young. Yeah. Well, I'm not surprised with the upbringing with your grandma. Yeah. (laughs) Constantly telling you you're going to get kidnapped. Oh, my God. Or TV and then the horror movies. Yeah. It's like the trifecta for bad dreams. Seriously. Like, it seems counterintuitive, but I feel like horror movies have really helped me with that kind of stuff. And it definitely helps me with anxiety, but I noticed that like over the last few years, especially it hasn't been as bad. Like the first half of when we started dating, like I was constantly waking up from nightmares. And I also noticed that I wasn't watching as many horror movies during that time. And it seems like, and I've noticed this even within the last year, like when I go through longer periods of not watching horror movies, I feel like I have more bad dreams and I almost feel like that's because my brain doesn't have that outlet to play out the worst case scenario in a safe place. Maybe. 
So it's almost like these movies are like an outlet for me. And if I don't have that outlet, it just goes back in my brain and I play it out in my brain and then I have nightmares. So that's just a theory. I don't know. Like I said, I don't really remember most of them in that great of detail. I remember more of just the gist of them or what I found upsetting about it. And most of the time, it's just more the the realistic aspect of things that's frightening. I also, I guess I've had the ones that are most disturbing are the ones that span time. Yeah. And I, I have basically two other ones that were like that. Well, there's a few, but there's one, I actually just remembered it. I'm reminded of it. From we've recently gotten into this podcast called Radio Rental. Yes. Which if you haven't listened to it, fucking listen to it. Oh my it. god, I'm obsessed with it. It's, it's so good. So good. It's basically just people telling really fucking bizarre stories, like individuals. Yeah, and they're and they're all words. true stories of like the weirdest things that happen to these people. Yeah, so you get to hear like a girl who was approached by what she found out later was a serial killer and was like tapping on her window and trying to get into her house and really crazy shit that you know have happened to people. And anyways, one is listen to that podcast is really good. Anyways, <laughs> two is that there was a story on there that kind of reminded me of this in a way. But in the dream, I was living in the house that we were living in when I was going to middle school and high school, I guess. And a new neighbor had moved in. And there was this girl that moved in with them. And she was a little bit older than me, but not much. So I went into school. Uh, I was always younger than everybody else because I got in early. So I think I was 12 when everyone else would have been 13. So I was like 12 years old and I think she was like 13, which when you're 12, 13 is a, like, a big difference. Big difference. Yeah. And so I kind of had a crush on her and I was also kind of intimidated by her and she was quirky and unique and weird and I liked it. And in the dream, we started like having conversations outside my window because my window was faced uh, with like a townhome area. So there was like a big courtyard that all the local kids would kind of play in and I could see her out the window and there's a tree in the courtyard that if you climbed up and it was really easy to do, you could look directly into my window. And if you really wanted to, you could probably jump inside. It was pretty close, at least some of the branches were. But she would climb up in the window and we would like talk. And first it started out just kind of small talk. And then progressively we kind of developed into a more meaningful communication with a a human being. But she started to get really weird after a while. Mm. You know, I would like just wake up at six o'clock in the morning to get ready for school and I'd have my blinds down and stuff like that and then I'd go and just open them up and she would just be like staring in the window oh my god or I would randomly in the middle of the night I would just see her out there or she would be down not in the tree but you know walking around and then I was a latchkey kid so I was home alone all the time And there was times where I would see her trying to get into the house or some other stuff. And uh, the way that the dream climaxed is that she eventually did climb one of the branches and get through my screen. And it was like this weird, it was almost like that annihilation type of thing where it's like this doppelganger. And it's super slow motion. And at the same time, I didn't know what to do. And it's like every time anyone makes a move, you just get closer to each other. And she would just like slowly approach and I couldn't back up, and she would just, like, overpowered me, and then I finally woke up. That is so creepy. Yeah, it was, it was uh, disturbing. I have some creepy ones. There's actually uh, this house that I lived in when I was, like, 11, and we only lived there for a year. Nothing weird ever happened in that house. I have mostly good memories there. There was some shit that went down, but it was a nice house, and I remember for some reason, years and years, up until, like, Recently, like being an adult, I would have a lot of dreams about that house and freaky shit going down there. 
So there's one in particular I remembered. This was when I lived at my grandparents' house. And I had a dream where I was back in this house, back in my old room. And I've noticed like a lot of times when I have nightmares and I wake up, I'm almost always on my back. And I know that when you get sleep paralysis, one of the most common claims from people, including me, I feel this every time, is like a sinister presence in the room. And that has a little bit to do with your mind is somewhat awake, but your body's paralyzed. So it feels almost like something's pressing down in your chest. It feels heavy and oppressive and it feels like somebody's in the room with you. So I had this dream where I'm back at this house and I'm in my old room and it's lit by, it almost looks like candlelight. So it's very shadowy, it's very flickery, it's very dark. I can only like just see what's in the room and it is completely full from wall to wall to the point where they're stacked up with porcelain dolls. And I'm not scared of dolls. I don't have like a doll thing. I know a lot of people are freaked out by them, especially the ones that my grandma collects because they're super creepy, but they felt so incredibly sinister. And every time I turned my head or looked away, I just saw movement out of the corner of my eye. Like their eyes would move or they would shift a little bit. That's how all those porcelain dolls are. Oh my God. I hate those things. (laughs) It was so creepy, but it was just the sinister feeling and the presence and just how everything was shifting and moving every time I moved or looked around. Super freaked me out. And I have had several dreams like that about that house in particular. And I don't know why we only lived there for a year. I've lived in a lot of places. But I keep going back to that house for some reason. That reminds me of uh, what happened to me. What? Well, that's why I don't like the porcelain dolls. Shortly after my dad died, we all moved into like the downstairs area of yeah. uh, duplex, where it was the bottom end that my grandpa owned, my grandpa and my uncle. And so there was like this huge master bedroom. And so all three of us kids were in there and my sister and I had bunk beds and then my little sister had a small bed and it had a huge walk-in closet and its own bathroom. And the walk-in closet had the shelving over the, um, on top that goes around. She had a few different dolls, porcelain dolls, but there was one in particular that I fucking hated. And it was the same type of thing. It's like every single time I went in there, I felt like it shifted or it moved or it was watching me. So that's just general stuff, right? But again, I was a latchkey kid. And I was at home alone a lot. And even not being a latchkey kid, because I was used to it when my mom and sisters would go out and do shit, I didn't want to go and I'd want, I'd prefer to have the house to myself. So I was home alone for those reasons too. And there is a time where I was home alone there and I was doing stuff. I was in the bed, the bedroom area and I was doing something. I don't remember what it was, but I heard a noise in the closet, like a clink and a thud. No. Oh. And I was freaked out. I didn't know what the fuck to do. And I knew it was irrational then to think it was the doll, but that was the only thing I could think of. And it was fucking terrifying. So I took a great deal of time before I opened the door because it was closed and I waited. But then I was like, I have to fucking know what it was. I was just too damn curious. And I opened the door and like, so this is a walk-in closet and it's probably a good eight by eight room. It's a small room and the doll was like on that top shelf thing. So when I opened the door, that doll was sitting directly in the middle of the room and it was sitting up. And not disheveled, but just upright and staring at me. Oh my god. So I have a hard time believing that it just fell in that position by its own accord. I I don't know what the fuck it was, but it was fucking terrifying. How did you ever stop screaming? (laughs) To this day, how are you not screaming right now? (laughs) I hated that fucking thing. 
hate it. That is so fucked up. I remember you told me that story before. Oh my god, that's so scary. Yeah, thankfully nothing like that ever happened with dolls. I've had other weird shit happen. But that dream kind of made me question it just a little bit. Don't like That's super scary. I have a couple more that are very creepy. If you want to get like super creepy here. One of them involves your non-existent brother, Magnus. So I had <laughs> I had this dream maybe four or five years ago that you and I were on one of our road trips. And in this dream, you had a brother that you didn't really know very well. He was much older than you. Uh, I had never met him before. And you had kind of just like recently come back into contact with him. And his name was Magnus. So we were driving down the five freeway. So it was here in California. And for anyone who's not from California... Uh, we call that the grapevine. So there's like this huge stretch of highway in like central California where it's basically just flat farmland. So we get to his house and it's like this wooden dilapidated shack. It's super run down. There's no electricity. There's no glass in the windows. And I don't remember his face very clearly. I just remember that you had the same color eyes as he did, like the hazel green color. He was very, very tall. And I immediately got danger we have to run vibes from him <laughs> super scary <laughs> but again it was like one of those dreams where not a lot happens but there's just that like overwhelming sinister presence that just fills you with dread and terror so i could tell in the dream that you were picking up on that too and we ended up like figuring out somehow in this dream that magnus was a serial killer and then the whole dream became about like getting out of there and escaping. And I was creeped out by that one for a really long time after I had it. It was super creepy. Serial killer brother, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so another one that really freaked me out, I call this one the doppelganger Greg dream. I've had this one twice where like different things happened in both of them. I don't remember the second one as well. I know the second one I had was in the house we're in now. And the first one was when we lived in Fullerton. But in this dream, uh, I had gotten up. I had taken a nap or something. And I came out to the living room. And I saw that you were asleep on the couch in the living room. So I was like, oh, he's home early. Okay. So I was kind of just like standing there in the living room. And then I was like watching you sleep on the couch for a second. And then all of a sudden I hear keys outside the front door and I hear the lock turning. And then the front door opens and it's you. So you open the door and you're just standing in the doorway. And then I just like look at the sleeping Greg on the couch. <laughs> and then I look up at you. And then I look at you looking at the sleeping Greg on the couch. And it's just dawning on your face like, what the fuck? And then I know that you, like the Greg who came in the front door, I know that that was the real you. And then we both look over at the sleeping Greg on the couch and then he just like wakes up and just sits up. Completely silent. He doesn't say anything. He just sits up and gets up off the couch and starts walking towards us. And at that point, my brain was like, fuck no, wake up now. So I woke up. I didn't see what happened. I didn't want to. <laughs> I was done with that dream. I'd be fucked up. I was done. <laughs> I love doppelgangers. Oh my God. It was so scary. <laughs> that wasn't the last time I had the doppelganger Greg dream. Oh yeah. Now I've had at least one more, but I don't remember it as well. It's just such a strange phenomenon, especially nightmares in particular. Like, I have always been so fascinated by nightmares, mostly because I've been plagued with them my whole life, but it's just such a fascinating concept. Dreams. Yeah, dreams in general. And we just, 
Like, to this day, you know, the the sleep doctor in the movie flat out says, we still have no idea what dreams are. We don't really know what it is. And to this day, we still don't really know what they are. But I know that you were trying to find some information on the limited knowledge we do have about dreams and nightmares. Were you able to find anything? You know, the consensus that I got was essentially nothing has changed. (laughs) We don't know. (laughs) We still have, really have no fucking idea. There's a number of different theories out there. There are some that this group of people like. Essentially, comes down to two different brackets of theory okay and one is that they're psychological and another one is physiological and then of course there are some that like the, the reason why we have them and then i would say the majority think it's a combination of both that it's both a, a physiological process that needs to take place as well as having psychological benefits but again in the long run they really have no fucking idea and they've done a number of sleep deprivation studies and trying to get people to not dream like wake them up before they get into the REM stage and they find that people get irritable so even though they're getting deep sleep on a consistent basis just the ability not to dream is detrimental to the psychological being of people. Wow. So a healthy brain has to dream. Yeah. That's so interesting. And they've actually, you know, they always thought that it was only in REM that we dream, but they have done studies again where they have, they will break people out of REM every time they get into it. Which sounds like a really shitty study. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wake up! <laughs> Just slapping them. <laughs> yeah. And then go ahead and go back to sleep. <laughs> wake up! Because you go, yeah, when you sleep, it's a 90 minute cycle. And yeah. throughout that cycle, you go through the five different stages. And the last stage, which is usually no longer than about a half an hour, is the REM stage. So in these studies, you only get to sleep for like an hour and then they wake you up. And then an hour and they wake you up. That sounds terrible. Yeah, it's really fucked up. Uh, I guess the most, one of the more prominent ones right now is, there are theories, is something called an activation synthesis hypothesis, which was actually in 1973, which was before this movie came out. Okay. So this has been around since then. But there was a, a couple of researchers, Alan, Alan Hobson and Robert McCarley, Carly. They hypothesized that it's simply the result of random electrical brain impulses that pulled imagery from traces of experience stored in the memory. And the idea is that, A, all the images that you're getting are just stored images in your brain. And that B, there's not necessarily a actual sequence of events that's going on while you're dreaming, but your brain is basically just trying to make sense of these random images that it's getting. And so it will like tie certain things together and certain past emotions and memories and things like that. Oh, that's so interesting. And so it's it's really, and sometimes it can be conscious, sometimes it can be unconscious, but yeah. it's really just your brain, you, trying to make sense of this state. My favorite thing while doing this, I got most of my information from uh, How Stuff Works. I love that nice. place. But on there they had a quote from Nietzsche. And I feel like he has it nailed on the head better than anybody else. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. What did Nietzsche have to say? So he said, In the ages of the rude beginning of culture, man believed that he was discovering a second real world in dream. And here is the origin of all metaphysics. Without dreams, mankind would never have occasion to invent a division of the world. The parting of soul and body goes also with this way of interpreting dreams. Likewise, the idea of a soul's apparitional body. Hence, all belief in ghosts, and apparently, too, 
and gods. Oh, that's cool. I thought that was a really neat interpretation of it. And the fact that without the idea of being able to experience an unknown world, we never would have had the capacity as human beings to have the type of abstract thought that we do. Yeah, I love that. There's just a few other cute things on here. One is there's a dream and nightmare laboratory established in Montreal where their mission statement is uh, dedicated to the scientific study of dreaming and if disorders to the training of graduate students and blah, blah, blah. But basically that's what they do. I think it's one of the biggest dream and nightmare institutes in the world. Wow. That's a cool job. Yeah. But I was going on there and they have a number of scientific articles that they've published and things like that. Everything I skimmed through is basically like... Fuck, I don't know. We don't know, but here's a fun <laughs> yeah. story. We, we don't know, but here's what happened to these group of people that we've studied. Yeah. We can't, we can't make any kind of correlation to it. Wow. Yeah, so dreams are just fucking crazy. Yeah. yeah. I'm so fascinated by dreams. I love hearing about other people's dreams. So obviously, nightmares fueled this movie, right? Yeah, so I actually had no idea about this, and it's a really fucked up story. So... Wes Craven's inspiration for A Nightmare on Elm Street was actually based on a real-life event, and this was in 1981, I think it was. There was this LA Times article about this young boy. He was actually a refugee from the Cambodian genocide, and I'll get a little bit into that in a second, but... Basically, the article said that this boy, after they had uh, moved to the U.S., they had escaped. And at this point, his parents think it's all over. But then this boy was so terrified to go to sleep because he was convinced that he was going to be attacked in a nightmare. And he would do everything he could to stay awake and not go to sleep. And then eventually, he finally fell asleep because you have to sleep. And his parents were super relieved. They're like, okay, this is finally over. But then they heard screams in the middle of the night. And by the time they got to the boy, he had died. And that absolutely fascinated Wes Craven, not just because it was such a creepy, unusual story, but because this was not the only person that this happened to. It happened dozens more times. And it was almost all young boys and men who had fled this genocide. And these boys and men belonged to what's called the Hmong group. And at the time, they were in Laos. And after the Vietnam War had ended, Laos became a communist country. And there were actually a lot of Hmong people who had fought in the Vietnam War against North Vietnam and against the uh, communist regime. So once they got back to Laos, what was now a communist country, they basically retaliated and initiated this massive genocide. It was insane. And it's sad, but it's no surprise that most of us have probably never heard of this. It's certainly not taught in our history classes, but over a million people were killed. And, you know, some of the lucky few who got to flee this violence and relocate to other places, like that didn't really end for them there. They still had like the horrible trauma of what happened to them. And they've never been able to figure out exactly what happened, but there were literally dozens of these young boys and men who would be terrified to go to sleep because they're afraid of being attacked, afraid of having nightmares, and then they would die in their sleep while having a nightmare. It's never been explained. They're trying to come up with any kind of medical explanation, any kind of neurological explanation, and you know, some of the community members were attributing the deaths to maybe it was like chemical nerve agents that the refugees would have been exposed to during the war. But that theory wasn't supported by doctors. And they said nerve gas doesn't behave that way. They're just There's just no evidence of that happening, of that being possible. And their other reason for why it's probably not that, they said, secondly, like, why 
If it was nerve gas, why does it affect only males and why is it only during the night while they're having a nightmare? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. So these people had their their own beliefs of why this was happening. Like a lot of them were very spiritual. They believed that maybe it was because they felt they were being punished for leaving their homes and they just they couldn't make sense of it. Basically, they they never figure out exactly what caused it. It was just one of those bizarre things that happened that we have no explanation for. So they came up with the name Sudden Unexplained Nocturnal Death Syndrome. I had no idea about that. We only found out about it because we had started watching this documentary about Nightmare on Elm Street, which was called Never Sleep Again, The Elm Street Legacy. And right at the beginning, they talk about that story that inspired him to make well, this Well, Wes Craven movie. does. Yeah, yeah, Wes Craven himself talks about this story. Yeah, the whole thing's absolutely crazy. I had never heard any of that before. And Super it crazy. makes sense, like, the idea that the person was having... What I was reading is that people were afraid to go to sleep yeah. because people were dying in their sleep. So it kind of makes sense that it was this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy in a way For that sure. you're like creating your own nightmares because like the most terrifying thing you could possibly think to do is sleep Yeah. because there's people around you that are just dying suddenly. Yeah. Plus you've been through this unspeakable trauma. Right. Yeah. So you have that as uh, this double whammy and you die. Yeah, it's a fucked up story. Yeah. Are you ready to get into Nightmare on Elm Street? Let's dig in. So Nightmare on Elm Street, the original, came out in 1984, directed, written by Wes Craven. So this one, just to give a, a quick recap, it's pretty simple. This movie is about a group of teenagers who are stalked and hunted in their dreams or in their nightmares by this entity named Freddy Krueger who chases them around with a knife glove. Basically, that's the only way I can describe it. It's like a glove that he wears with four knives attached at the fingers. Everyone knows and Freddy Krueger. Everyone knows, yeah. If you don't know, I don't know where you've been. But <laughs> he's stalking and terrorizing these teenagers in their dreams. And we find out pretty quick in the movie that this group of friends, this group of teenagers, has all been having nightmares about this same guy. And it starts right off the bat with a pretty brutal death, really awesome death scene with one of the teenagers. And the rest of the movie, our protagonist, Nancy Thompson, is basically trying to figure out who this guy is, how she can stop him, and why he is attacking these teenagers in their nightmares. So I know that you, me, almost everybody else who has heard of this movie, who knows who Freddy Krueger is, just absolutely is fascinated by and loves this concept. It's one of the best horror ideas ever, really. It's brilliant. It's kind of, I feel like it was low-hanging fruit. Not to diminish the idea that Wes Craven had, but I feel like it's low-hanging fruit at the same time. I feel like it was one of those things, and maybe it's just hindsight, but I feel like it was inevitable that somebody did this. Yeah. But it's a carnal fear and it's one of those things where how terrifying are nightmares and how terrifying would it be if they were real and the whole idea that you have a nemesis that cannot be escaped you cannot never sleep again so it's only a matter of time and the fact that nobody else is in your dreams with you except for you you yeah. have no friends you have no family you have nothing that can protect you it's the most vulnerable place you could possibly be is in your sleep and that is where this villain takes his time and taunts you like a piece of meat exactly. that he's playing with he really does do that. I mean, even from the very beginning, you see how he acts with this group of teenagers. He toys with them. He taunts them. He takes his time because he knows that you have to go to sleep eventually. So even if you wake up and you're safe for that moment, he can wait 
and he'll wait because he knows you'll be back. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite things about Freddy and this movie in particular. I love the way that he drags out his interactions. Yeah. And the fact that he has no sense of urgency and he's just kind of thriving. You can even tell these at the point that we come into the movie, he's had multiple interactions with every single one of the characters that we don't know about. Yeah, like they're already familiar with this Every guy. single one of them has been having nightmares and he like progressively kind of ups the game a little bit every single time. Yeah, and even just the whole concept of the clawed gloved hand, like they actually mentioned in the documentary, they were very deliberate about the design of that. Like they wanted it to resemble an animal claw to represent this just primal fear that we all have of being torn apart by a wild animal. Yeah, I also really love the very first scene, which yes. is actually in a different ratio. Yeah, the aspect ratio is very small. The aspect small. ratio is different, and it's you really get to see him craft this glove. Oh, I loved that, just the origin of the, the glove. The origin of the glove, that yeah. is not just some kind of random thing that he has, yeah. or it's not part of him. You actually see him craft this thing, and the prop designers were even discussing about how they want it to look a little bit crude, because he did hand make this, but then also it's functional and it works but i really love that kind of origin story of the glove initially in film i loved that too i think that was a brilliant intro especially just remembering seeing this for the first time and being like whoa what is happening here and all you can hear is his heavy breathing yeah so creepy and you don't know what it's going to be you just know that it's meant to do harm yes yeah, super creepy. And I think one of the creepiest things about it, and if you look at his hands, and then of course when you hear uh, Nancy's mom explain what happened later, this is while he's still alive. So he actually used that glove to kill children when he was still alive. And remember the mom pulls it out of the furnace and like shows it to Nancy. Like this is what he used. Oh man. So he's crafting that glove as yeah. a human. Yeah. Super fucked up. Really fucked up. So we have that really cool intro and then we immediately go into Tina's nightmare, which I, I love all of the nightmare scenes in this. They're all good. But in this one in particular, she's in that boiler room, which we'll come back to over and over because we find out later that's where Freddy was killed. That's where he died was that boiler room. And it's also where, where he took yeah, the kids to kill say, them. That's where, like, like that's that where it all happened. Dead. Yeah. And you can tell immediately that this is a nightmare. One, because Tina is in a nightgown. And two, it just has this very surreal dreamlike quality to it. And the music is very surreal. There's like a, you can hear like a sheep in the background making noise. You well, see you it see at one sheep, point. Yeah. yeah. And then you hear it later. And at one point I noticed like all of the nightmares in this movie when the characters try to run they can never, yeah. they can barely move. They're not running fast enough. We all know what that feels like. We've all had that happen in a dream. She wakes up and her mom comes in and her nightgown is actually slashed in the front. And I, I know we both got a kick out of what her mom said. So you, you get the impression pretty early on that like there's just something off about all of the parents. All the parents are just weird and kind of off. Like they're all acting strange. But yeah, her mom comes in. And then she's like, what the hell is wrong with you? And like her makeup's running and she has like, some guy over and you can tell it's obviously not Tina's dad. And Tina's like, it was just a nightmare. And then she's like, a dream did that? And you see the big slash marks on her dress. And then yeah, she goes, Tina, either cut your fingernails or stop having those dreams. It has to be one or the other, okay? <laughs> <laughs> just weird shit. But that was kind of a cool tactic, too, because, you know, the first time watching this, you think that Tina is going to be the main character, right? Because it's the first person you see, and right. it's usually the case. And she's killed off less than 10 minutes into the movie. Yeah, and they did a great job with, A, 
kind of giving you the feel of this character of Freddy just from the making of those gloves because it's such a sinister thing and then you get to see him toy with her but the fact that the next thing that happens from the dream scene is that something actually happened in reality yeah it gives you this immediate sense of what's going on yes without really having to propel the story all that much yeah you already understand oh fuck that's what's going on that is one of my favorite things about Wes Craven is he is so good at the show don't tell that's a perfect way to put it yeah and I I love that in a horror movie I don't want everything spoon-fed to me I don't need a whole bunch of exposition just show me this movie definitely does that yes (laughs) Yeah, it's not the best script. It's not the best acting. It's everything that you need to know just about, except for when, like, the mom explains what happens, is in what you see. Yeah. Very cool. So pretty quick after that is when we meet Nancy, who is actually our protagonist, played by Heather Langenkamp, who it was actually her birthday on the night that we watched this movie, and I had no idea before that day that that was her birthday and that was the night we were going to watch it, which is kind of cool. Happy birthday, Heather. Happy birthday, Heather. You know, the first note I wrote about Nancy is that she's such a good friend because Tina is obviously... I mean, we were just talking about how sometimes you have those nightmares that just stick with you and you can't shake them. Tina's super freaked out, so Nancy, no questions asked, agrees to come spend the night with Tina because she's scared of this nightmare that she had. I just feel like that is such a good friend to be willing to do that because you had a bad dream. They're coming over to stay with you because you had a bad dream. You're scared and you don't want to be alone. It also should be noted that Tina's parents are out of town. Yeah. So her mom, they reveal later, like her mom took off to Vegas with the boyfriend and she's gone for a couple days and then Tina doesn't want to be alone. So Nancy and her boyfriend, Glenn, baby Johnny Depp, come over to spend the night with Tina. This is his first film. His very first movie. Featuring Johnny Depp. Yes. I don't know about you, but I thought Tina's death scene was so badass. Fuck yeah, that was oh my cool God. as fuck. I, I mean, I think what I wrote down was, okay, cool effects. <laughs> yes, like the... <laughs> like, you got me, that's fucking cool. The well, special effects in that. this movie, I'm always just amazed by how well they hold up and how good this movie looks. They did a lot of really looks. cool shit with this. It looks they good. Did. That was awesome. And I also loved just before that, when... Nancy goes to sleep in the other room. The second she falls asleep, there's like the stretchy mm. canvas ceiling where just the silhouette of Freddy is like stretching through it and you can see like his face and his hands. Yes. And then she just kind of stirs and wakes up and then he immediately backs up and he's gone. Yeah. That was awesome. I, I like that scene a lot. Yeah. I think that and then Tina's death and then the body bag are my three favorite scenes. Yes. That whole dream sequence in the school after Tina dies, that was definitely my favorite nightmare in the whole movie like that entire thing the way that played out and I'm already a sucker for dream scenes and nightmare sequences in movies especially in horror movies and I feel like this just started all of that it's so surreal and so strange and I feel like that school scene where Nancy falls asleep in class is really where it gets weird and I love it yeah it definitely gets strange there yeah yeah so Tina's death And that scene is gruesome. Yeah. And you just have, it's like her and her boyfriend up in bed. And they have this really loud sex scene earlier. Yeah. Where you don't see anything, but you like hear them going at it. And baby Johnny Depp and Nancy are kind of commenting about it. Or maybe they're both sleeping separately and they're both just hearing it. So you've been hearing both of them screaming. And so she's screaming at the top of her lungs. Both Johnny and, or I guess Glenn and his character's name. He hears the screaming, but initially they think it's just them going at it again and there's all this ruffle underneath the sheets and everything and the boyfriend gets up tina's boyfriend gets up out of the bed kind of freaked out not knowing what's going on 
the sheets get torn off somehow. I don't think the boyfriend does it. Oh, I honestly can't remember. I just rewatched that scene today too, but I, I remember that the sheets are somehow torn off and then her nightgown has been ripped open. Like you don't see any nudity or anything, but you see her stomach and you just see these slash marks appear and like it just gushes as it happens. Yeah. Yeah. And then she just starts getting thrown around the room just like a fucking rag doll yeah and she's like up on the ceiling and she's like crawling on the ceiling and you're you have the perspective of the boyfriend who's just cowering in the corner and so you're just like in this tight little corner and kind of watching it almost like on his shoulder and you're seeing this whole thing unfold where she's just getting thrown about and screaming and there's slashing and there's blood and she's like slammed the wall and then she's trying to climb across the ceiling and then she just drops oh it's so good and then when she drops it shows rod her boyfriend's face and there's just like a splatter of blood yeah on his face yeah because the bed had already been filled with blood so when she dropped it just splash created like a shamu splash yeah and rod they make it pretty obvious right away. Like, this guy's kind of a tool. He carries a switchblade. He's kind of aggressive, kind of a dick. But then I think they, for me personally, they did a really good job of also making him sympathetic. And right before this happens, he kind of has a moment of vulnerability where right after they have their super loud sex and then it goes back to them, it shows them again. And he was like, all right, no more fights and no more nightmares for either one of us. And then Tina was like, you had a nightmare too? And he was like, guys can have nightmares too. And then you can tell he's freaked out and he doesn't want to talk about it. And then he goes to sleep. So Rod's not an idiot. He knows how bad this looks and he knows that he was the only person in the room with Tina. He knows what just happened was completely insane and he knows that they're going to think he did it. So he gets the fuck out of there. He goes out the window and that was, of course he ends up getting caught immediately, but he just, he knows there's no other explanation yeah. for this. They're going to think I did this. And anybody would think that I would think that. Or you're right. I mean, how are you going to explain that? Yeah. You can't. you can't explain that. Oh, she was dragged up to the ceiling slash marks appeared. Yeah. But you're mentioning the camera angle in that scene, and I noticed they did some really cool camera work in this movie. And there was one thing in particular, it was the next day when Nancy, she's super traumatized. Tina was her best friend, so she's obviously devastated. She decides she's going to go to school, and the camera is following Nancy, and then all of a sudden the camera actually starts following her and goes right up behind her back, almost like she's being stalked. And then right when it gets to her shoulder, she turns around. And then that's when Rod jumps out of the bushes and grabs her to try to talk to her. Yeah, it's that was a cool surprisingly, trick. I mean, it's good, good special effects, good camera work. There's a lot of things they did a damn good job with. They did. And one of my favorite things about this movie was actually the score, the soundtrack. I kind of wish Skinny Puppy would have done it. But, yeah, I could see you know, that, yeah. As a close second, it was pretty good. I really yeah, loved it. Yeah, that was it. great. It, it totally fit for the mood and for the 80s. And it did. Kind of an industrial vibe with the boiler room. It was very dreamlike and almost like the first tune at the beginning, like the main theme, it almost sounds like a lullaby that's just a little bit off. Hmm. There's one or two notes that just doesn't belong and it creates this feeling of unease. Yeah, this discord. And then there's also, uh, there's this sound that they keep playing throughout the movie, like in these different tracks, I'll call them, where it almost, to me, it's like the sound of it mimics that feeling of either falling in a dream or like descending into a nightmare. Ooh, that's cool. That's immediately what I heard. Like if I had, I've had so many nightmares and so many bad dreams and I'm so familiar with all these feelings and I feel like this soundtrack so perfectly captured those feelings. So you have the 
descending into a nightmare or falling in your dream. You have, there's a track that plays, it's a little bit different every time, but it's almost every time Freddy is actively running after the kids and chasing them, where it's like adrenaline and racing heart sound. I just, I love that soundtrack. I thought it was fantastic. Really cool. But yeah, like that falling sensation that they were able to capture was really impressive. I don't know if I caught on to that. I'll I'll play it again for you later. But they, it's just like a sound that they keep repeating throughout that just is like that falling sensation. I know for sure what you're talking about with the adrenaline rush with Freddy chase scenes. And there's also the sense when he's stalking people, Mm -hmm. there's kind of like a... Like a slower heartbeat. A slower heartbeat, and also just kind of like this mysterious kind of thing, like the, you know, like the chimes, the descending yeah, the chimes, chimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like really movement, like... but not knowing where it's coming from, like the sound of wind traveling through hallways, yeah, and... or something moving out of the corner of your yeah. mind. You don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. I just really love the soundtrack. And going back to the school scene real quick, that was one of my favorite dream sequences, and just such a surreal moment. This is after Tina's been killed, and she obviously hasn't slept all night. And she falls asleep in her English class. And I love how they do like the transition into nightmares in this movie because it happens so fast. You don't even really see them transitioning into sleep. They'll just maybe close their eyes or put their head down for a second. And then initially the scene is exactly the same, which I've I've had so many dreams like that where you're exactly where you were when you fell asleep or you're exactly where you were earlier that day. And right before she fell asleep, they were reading Hamlet in class and her classmate got up and was reading this passage out loud and then she wakes up and we as an audience can tell she's dreaming of course because her head went down but now everything has slowed down and she can hear somebody whispering her name in the hallway and then she looks up at this boy who's still reading from Hamlet and now he's just like looking right at her and speaking in slow motion and the passage that he reads is and count myself a king of infinite space, were it not that I have bad dreams. Yeah, I, I remember that. cool. That's really cool. I remember them mentioning <laughs> that in that little documentary, too. I love they're that. Like, that was so Wes Craven. Like, yes. he really wanted to put that in there, and it just, and he's it just really like, hits it on the head. It does, and he's looking right at her mm-hmm. when he says it. And then she looks over, and then Tina is just standing there in a bloody body bag. Like a clear one. Yeah, so you can see her through it. It's covered in blood, and she's just standing there. And then she looks back at the kid, looks again, and it's gone. And there's just a puddle of blood. Yeah, like and like a trail of blood yeah. leading out. And then as she walks out of the classroom to kind of follow this trail of blood... She sees the body bag at the end of a, to the next corner, and there's like the trail all the way up to where she's at, and then she's on her back, Tina's on her back in the body bag, and the legs are kind of lifted up at a 45 degree angle, like somebody's got them, and is like pulling her backwards, but there's nothing there. Yeah. And you just see her getting dragged away into this corner that you can't see anymore. And bringing this thing. And I think she's still conscious, too. Tina is. She's, like, talking or something, isn't she? Or is she still looking at her? Or no? At this point, no. Okay. But nevertheless, it's a really fucking cool scene. That was another fantastic effect. That looked so good. Yes. There was nothing fake about it. That looked incredible. And then I love when she starts running and then she crashes into the hall monitor. Who's You notice right away she's wearing this red and green sweater. And then... She's like, hey, you need a hall pass. And Nancy goes, screw your hall pass and starts running. And then it's Freddy's voice. And then she turns around and it's the hall monitor with Freddy's glove, like, talking shit. It's so (laughs) good. (laughs) That girl actually reminds me of a girl I went to high school with. Really? (laughs) Yeah. 
it reminds me so much of her. Like, every time I see that, oh, man. I go, That's oh, it. man. I just kind of have, like, a fond memory. A you flashback, know? yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a great nightmare sequence. And then that's when uh, she goes down to the boiler room that we are now kind of familiar with. And Nancy actually has the wherewithal to know that she is dreaming. And she's telling herself, like, this is a nightmare. This isn't real. And I also really like where we kind of get a more clear view of Freddy this time. And he just mutilates himself in these dreams to, like, scare these kids. So in the first dream, he goes, hey, look. And he cuts off his two fingers and, like, this green (laughs) ooze just sprays out. He has this insane look on his face. And then I loved this one where he lifts up his shirt and slashes his chest and just green ooze and maggots pour out. out. Yeah. That's I good love shit. That shit yeah. I love it. It looks so good. <laughs> but then she's smart enough to slam her arm against this hot pipe and that wakes her up. So she's like freaking out in her English class and then she sees later on that her arm was actually burned. Right. And yeah. that's where she starts to kind of put two and two together where she realizes that she already knew that everybody was having the same type of dream or the yeah. same villain was in all their dreams. She knew that Tina was having this dream and she didn't think that Rob killed her, but she didn't know what to think. And now that she sees that these nightmares can actually have physical repercussions, I think that's where she really goes and starts thinking, like, I think Tina was killed by this guy. Yeah. I have to say, I really love Nancy's character. I think she's a total badass. Yeah, she's I think awesome. she's she was great. She's the only one that's trying to figure out what's going on, yeah. even though everyone's having these same dreams. And she's really not willing to put up with her family members trying to dismiss her and her dad's like the chief of police or something like that. Yeah. And she tries to talk with him and reason with him. But at the same time, she's just like, I'm going to figure this shit out whether you're with me or not. And same with Glenn. Like, she's trying to get everybody on board and they're just... It seems like everybody is just acting weird. Almost like in a dream. Like, when you have dreams about your family members, you're, like, upset about something and you're trying to tell them something and they're just not acting right. I don't think the whole movie is a dream necessarily, but I feel like they're really pulling elements from the things that make us uneasy in dreams and, like, giving those qualities to the actual real-life characters. Absolutely. Which is really and cool. And if, if you want to read into it, which I don't think it was meant to be, in like, a super in-depth film. Mm-hmm. I think it was just meant to be a scary, scary, <laughs> scary story. But you I could like also scary, say, scary. Yeah, scary, scary. scary, scary. You could also argue that there's the aspect that in life, when there's really detrimental shit going on and people just won't fucking take it seriously. Yes. When it's like life or death type of shit. Yeah. You know, whether it be the things that develop before we go into a war or before, you know, it becomes okay to start participating in a genocide or whether it's things that are just being okay with uh, social injustices. And there's like, sometimes you feel like you're the only person in the room and you're fucking screaming your head off. Yeah. And everyone else is just like weird. Yeah, and that's, I feel like that's hammered home even more later when we find out that the parents actually knew about Freddy this whole time. And here they are gaslighting the shit out of Nancy when they know who this guy is. And the reason why they know who he is is we find out from Nancy's mom later that Freddy was a child killer. And I, I couldn't believe this. The mom's like, yeah, he killed over 20 kids in the neighborhood. I'm like, in the, the neighborhood? neighborhood? Holy shit. In the neighborhood. Oh my God. But, you know, he. long story short, they, they caught him. He got arrested. But there ended up being some kind of problem where the search warrant was signed in the wrong place. And then just like that, he was free and walking the streets again. So all of these parents in the neighborhood, including like Nancy's parents, 
parents, Tina's parents, all of these people who lived there got together and they brought him to that boiler room where he had been killing the kids, doused him in gasoline and set him on fire. That's why he's all burned and disfigured. Right. So they have been carrying this with them all these years and they've known about this. And then all of a sudden, like Nancy is describing this guy to a T and you can see by the look on her parents' faces, they know exactly who she's talking about. And they instead, it's like, we're taking you to the Sleep Institute. There's something wrong with you. You need help. Right. And it's like these kids are basically... And this is not completely the parents' fault, of course. This is Freddie's revenge. But they're like paying for what their parents did. Absolutely. And I, I actually... That one I was thinking about. I mean, it was just like the sins of the father. You know what I mean? Exactly. I mean, how many times do we live in a situation where we're paying the price because of the repercussions of the generation before us? Yeah. And the fact that either A, we don't even know what they did, and it's not until way down the line where we're like, what the fuck, guys? Yeah, and then the mom is a full-blown alcoholic. She has vodka for breakfast. Like, she's just drinking her sorrows away and not engaging in this. And I really liked when Nancy called her out on it. Yeah. Yeah, I think there I think there really is a lot more that you can get from this movie. Whether it was intended or not, there's a lot here. I think you absolutely can. Like I said, I think that Wes Craven was probably mainly going for just making a serious story. Definitely. But then uh, again, I feel like he's a good enough storyteller to want to include some other elements to it. Yeah. Whether or not it was like a main motif or anything. Probably not, but it, you can definitely read into it if you want to. Well, that's another thing that I love about dreams and nightmares and just that surreal subgenre of horror is you can read as much into it as your heart desires. And, and this is where it's really fun for the filmmaker, you can do whatever the fuck you want. Yeah. What did you think about Glenn's death? That was fucking cool. I love that scene. <laughs> Do you want to talk about like that whole sequence a little bit? I know you have some notes on that. Yeah, there's the one part where Glenn just useless. <laughs> he, he has like one fucking job throughout the whole movie and he fails both times that he's given the job. And that's just stay the fuck awake. For like 20 minutes. For 20 fucking minutes. And wake Nancy up as she's having a nightmare. Yeah, it's infuriating. So Nancy has basically developed an a-, a plan of action, and she's ready to go into battle. She's been reading how to booby trap. I was <laughs> <laughs> like booby traps and anti personnel devices. devices, <laughs> and she's like she's ready to fucking yeah. take Freddie down. You know, and she wants to like bring him out of her dream, yeah. right? Yeah, that's what her whole plan is. I think that she has a brilliant plan. Yeah. Of how to do it and like how to confront this guy because she knows that she's not going to be able to win in the dream. Yeah. And she also, uh, we forgot to mention when her mom takes her to the sleep institute, she pulls his hat out of the dream with her. Right. So she knows that she can take things out of her dream. Okay. So she's like, I'm going to find him and I need you to wake me up if I'm having a bad dream. Yeah. Well, she like, the idea is that she's going to plan on pulling him out after 20 minutes. Yeah. And she's like, fucking whack this guy. Yeah. She's like, I'm just going to, you know, try to kind of egg him on, get him to chase me for 20 minutes, get the thing going, but be ready when I'm ready. And Glenn's over on his... He's at his house. They're like He's at neighbors. his house. They're yeah. neighbors, like right across the street. So he's supposed to run across and wake her up. No big fucking deal. Yeah. Instead, he fucking is listening to Joe Schmo on his headphones and watching on TV and falls asleep on his bed. So as he is falling asleep, Nancy has fallen asleep as well. And at this point, it's kind of one of those scenes where it's, she fell asleep, but we don't know she's quite asleep yet. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like she just nodded off. And she goes and the phone rings. And I think either the phone rings or she goes to call 
Glenn. She, I think I she think goes she, to call Glenn. I think she goes to call Glenn. Yeah. And as she does it, it's one of the, like, I want to get this phone for Eric and Brian so bad. <laughs> um, actually, I think of the hot dog phone. There's a hot dog phone in the movie. Anyways, there's a phone. I want, the, I want this phone. <laughs> you want this one? I want this one. There's, she answers the phone, and then all of a sudden, like, Freddy's tongue comes out of the phone and says something like, I'm your boyfriend now, and just starts, like, tonguing her in the oh. mouth. <laughs> So good. I read that uh, Heather Langenkamp actually like wanted to take that prop home, and everyone on set thought that was weird. And I was like, I don't think that was weird. I would want to take that home too. That thing yeah. was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so I love that scene. And then there's also like a number of things that happen in that whole sequence. So one of them is that before that, right before that, she's been trying to stay awake this whole time, and her mom comes in and takes the cup of coffee she has on her TV. <laughs> And she's like, sweetie, you need to go to bed. And she's all drunk and doused. And she's like, okay, mom, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden she just pulls out a Mr. Coffee from underneath her bed with a fresh cup of fucking... <laughs> it's like plugged in and brewed. Yeah. Like... <laughs> so I so love good. that. And then when we were watching that little documentary thing, or at least the first part of it, Wes Craven was actually saying that was part of what he read in the initial story that got him interested is that the boy who was afraid to go to sleep actually had a plugged-in coffee maker underneath his bed trying to stay awake, (laughs) which is both sad and it was also made a little bit funnier at the same time. Yeah. Just, like, stashing a full coffee maker underneath Also, the fire. Like, my immediate thought was, like, God, that's such a fire hazard. Yeah, not good. So you have that, and then Glenn falls asleep, too, because he's worthless. He has one fucking job. Falls asleep watching (laughs) Miss Nude America. Miss Nude America, that's right. (laughs) And uh, you know he's asleep... Because all of a sudden, he's got his headphones. Okay, that's all. He's listening to his headphones and he's watching TV. And in the headphones, you hear something about station KRGR, blah, 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 (laughs) sign off. I know, we're like, nice. Yeah. (laughs) And then immediately, all of a sudden, and this is where you were saying it was akin to the dream that you had when you were three years old, where Glenn just gets sucked into his bed. And the next thing you see is this old faithful geyser of blood. Just... (laughs) And it goes on for like nine seconds. Yeah. Oh my God. That was a cool scene. I loved that. And it just keeps going. It's like all over the ceiling. It's everywhere. And then his mom opens the door and the room is just like flooded with blood and he's just gone. Yeah. There's nothing there. And you could tell from watching it that how they did it was obviously just shooting upside down and having it fall. But I guess they actually had the scene that they did Nancy's death in was this uh, room that they could rotate. That's how they got her up on the ceiling and stuff like that. And they did that same scene in that room for Glenn. And part of it was actually a mistake. I guess the room started like moving when it wasn't supposed to. So you actually see the blood start to not go up the ceiling, but, like, kind of slide down it. Yeah. And uh, it actually... It looks cool. Yeah, it works really well. It makes it even more somehow uncomfortable. That's what I love about this. weird and dreamlike. Yeah, like, everything that happens, even if you find out later that it was a mistake, it just comes off as, like, bizarre and surreal and, like, the lack of logic that you would have in a dream. And that, again, when you're dealing with dreams and that nature of events yeah you really can't get away with anything and why would your audience question it did you read about like the super close brush with death that the crew had with that scene no 
if I remember correctly, I just like skimmed IMDb yesterday or something. And apparently when they were filming that scene, they had like all the uh, the filming equipment and the wiring and everything out. And because of that malfunction where the blood was like going down the sides, it hit the wires and the power went out. That's right. And I they were like, holy shit, that. we could have all just been electrocuted and killed. Yeah. Because it was water. Like yeah. it was just colored water. And they're on the standing on the floor with all this electrical equipment just laid out these wires. They all could have just been zapped and killed. Man, that would have gone down in the history books, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it was a close call. Thankfully, like just the power went out. And it was okay, but damn. Yeah, thankfully. Close call. So I think it was pretty quick after Glenn's death. That's when we get the whole story from Nancy's mom about who Freddie was, right? Pretty quick after that. No, we get that before. Was it before? Yeah. Okay. That's why she's. Oh, that's right. Like there's pulling out at that point. That's right. There's like bars on her window, and her mom's full blown drunk at this point. So Glenn dies, and then Nancy immediately knows what happens. She runs across the street. Her dad's already there, and this is where she decides, like, okay, I have to. I have to get this guy. I have to pull him out. And this is where it kind of just goes a little bit downhill. Like the last few minutes or so, it's kind of rushed and thrown together and just kind of goes off the rails a little bit. But she tells her dad, look, I have to get this guy. Come break down the door in 20 minutes. I'm going to, I promise I'm going to find him. I'm going to get him. So in this 20 minutes, she's able to booby trap her entire house. Yeah. She sets up like (laughs) the most intricate fucking traps with a sledgehammer on a, that's pivoting on the doorway with all these trip <laughs> wires. She's filling light bulbs with gunpowder. Yeah. She's got all kinds of shit. And then she even has the time to, like, put her mom down to sleep. Yeah, and I have think. a heart-to-heart. Have a heart-to-heart with her mom. <laughs> and then go to sleep herself. Right. And then get Freddy. All this yeah. took place, apparently, in 20 minutes' time. Yeah. And this actually happens exactly 20 minutes before the movie ends, too. It's like the last 20 minutes of the movie. So is the whole thing a dream? I don't know. Oh, speaking of 20, real quick, going back, there's this comment that Nancy makes. Like, it was after some shit has gone down and she's in her bedroom with Glenn before he dies. And she looks in the mirror at herself and she's like, oh God, I look 20 years old. (laughs) I was like, excuse me. (laughs) I think that was kind of a double joke because I guess uh, Heather Langenkamp was actually 20 years old when she filmed this. Oh, okay. So it was kind of a joke on her. But yeah, I was like, wow, (laughs) like 20 years old. Yeah, it was funny. But... Yeah, she's able to booby trap her whole house, and then she goes to sleep. Freddy's there right away, and I think she does, like, pull him out, right? Yeah. Yeah, so she pulls him out, yeah, and Yeah, then... she, she gets him to trip off all the things. Yeah. He gets hit by the sledgehammer, he gets... He trips the light bulb one, and that, like, yeah. sets off the gunpowder, and... And then he gets lit on fire, and that was an amazing shot. So he's running up the stairs, just engulfed in flames, like, still trying to get at her. And apparently, like, that was and still is the longest single shot of a person on fire. Yeah, it's crazy. Like, he runs up the stairs, and then she kicks him back, and he, like, rolls back down the stairs. And then comes back up again. And then goes back up. Just keeps going. And it's just, like, you watch it, and that thing is a continuous scene, and that dude was on fire the whole fucking time. It made me nervous. Yeah, it's real. <laughs> I, I've told you this before. That is one of my bucket list things. I always want to do a stuntman fire suit. That's like, all I would you. love to do that. If I can really do it, I want to do it on a motorcycle and then have it go into a pool. Oh, good lord. Yeah, that's that's yours. I, I'm not interested. <laughs> but <laughs> but basically, really do that. what did you think of how she defeated Freddy? Okay, so earlier in the movie, Glenn is talking to her. They're on a bridge, and this is when he sees the book that she's reading. The booby traps and anti-personnel devices and she's like i'm into survival yeah (laughs) he's like have you heard about the i think he says the balinese way of dreaming and he starts talking about dream skills and then she kind of counters with well what if they see a monster in their dream and he said well they would just 
turn their backs on them and deny them power and then they would go away. And she's like, what if they didn't? He's like, well, then they die. And he's laughing about it. But that ends up being like what she does later. So she turns her back and says, I'm not afraid of you. I relinquish all of the energy I've given you. You're nothing. You're shit. And then he just goes away. And this is after, so it's kind of, the whole last 20 minutes is kind of surreal and confusing. You don't know what's a dream, what's real. And at one point her dad finally comes in and they go into the mom's bedroom and she's sinking into the bed and she's charred because he was on, uh, Freddie had jumped on fire on top of of the mom under the bed and then she's like sinking into the bed and she's gone. But then Nancy, quote unquote, wakes up again. So did she actually pull him out of her dream or was that whole thing a dream? We don't know. Honestly, the the last 20 minutes of this movie just, I feel like they didn't know what the fuck they were doing. Yeah. I feel, I feel like, like they lost track of which part was a dream and which part wasn't. And then they weren't sure how to end it. And they didn't know if he should be alive or shouldn't be yeah. or if she should have been dreaming or if she shouldn't have been or Well, what. Wes Craven actually did have a specific ending in mind. And he wanted that to be the ending. Like his intention was that that whole sequence was a dream. But then Nancy was able to defeat him by relinquishing her fear and letting go of her fear and taking his power away that way. And that was supposed to be kind of how it ended. Like he wanted that kind of optimistic final ending, but the producer, Robert Shea, he wanted the ending that we ended up getting, which was everything's all great again. All the kids get in the car, they go to drive away. So it's like, was this whole thing a dream? What the fuck is going on? And then the top of the convertible that they're in slams shut. And it's like the red and green stripes and then they're all screaming, and then the car drives away, and then the mom gets pulled like a ragdoll through the tiny front window of the front door, and it's like the only effect in the movie that looks fucking stupid. Yeah, it's really cheesy. So that was Robert Shea. Yeah. And the reason why he did that was because he wanted to open the door for sequels. He saw it was like cha-ching. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, right. And it was. The door that that opened... Like, the effect that Freddy Krueger had on pop culture was just astonishing. Oh, big time. Astonishing. And I'm not a fan of censorship. I talk shit on the MPA all the time. But just the degree to which Freddy was marketed to not just teenagers, because that's fine, but young kids is, like, really disturbing. Yes. Really disturbing. So there were... They were... Keeping in mind (laughs) that this person is a... Is a child molester slash murderer. Right. It reminds me of, like, when people... Try to popularize and make, you know, like Al Pacino. Yeah, like Scarface. Scarface. Yeah. And, you know, the like horrible mobsters and people that fucking murdered tens of hundreds of people and tried to glamorize them into like something. Yeah, I hate that shit. I know, it's fucking disgusting. Yeah, and again, like, you know how I feel about censorship. I hate that. I think that it should be like a parent's discretion what their kids watch and don't watch. But it feels so sinister. The way that he was marketed and still is like to kids. And mm-hmm. there was a, a sequence of the documentary. I went on and watched quite a bit more of it. The Never Sleep Again documentary. This thing is four hours long. So watch it in segments. There's no right for it to it's, be that long. It shouldn't be that long. It should have been an hour and a half tops. But they were talking about just the explosion in pop culture that Freddie caused and how popular he was. And just some of the products that they came out with were absolutely insane. And Wes Craven, Robert England himself, who plays Freddie, and several of the other original crew members were like, we couldn't believe some of the shit that was coming out. Like, there were kids' pajamas that were the red and green stripes, like Freddy Krueger pajamas. And then I think it was either Wes or like one of the other crew members who was like, that's like saying, okay, kids, go put on your Charles Manson pajamas and let's go to bed. Like, what the fuck? This guy was a child murderer. (laughs) Like, that's so creepy. 
So there were toys, action figures, kids' pajamas. There was one where they're like, okay, this definitely isn't licensed and isn't legal, but we have seen people selling Freddy Krueger Valium. So it was like a bottle of Valium with a Freddy Krueger logo on it, and they were selling these, and they're like, it's something like go to sleep, or like I'm going to get you, or something like that. It's just insane what a huge impact this movie had on pop culture so that those are like the more negative effects of course but as far as just being such an iconic and influential horror movie it had really positive effects i feel like like this was the to me this is like the epitome of classic 80s horror definitely i love that shit but this came out after poltergeist after the thing after the shining after evil dead those are all very different from this movie this was like a turning point this was kind of like horror not the birth of but the ignition of the the slasher genre maybe in some ways like i I mean at this point we already had we had halloween and texas chainsaw massacre those were like late 70s but i feel like this really lit a fire that's what i mean yeah this like really accelerated it for Mm -hmm. sure we already had you know several slashers and then friday the 13th had already come out so slashers were already thing and black christmas that was considered like the first slasher but i don't know to me like this is just good i'm not a slasher fan i've never been into that genre but this is 100 percent my favorite slasher this was great i I, especially for what it was and i don't like slashers i just i just found out while we were watching this that texas chainsaw massacre is considered a slasher (laughs) yeah i never considered the original a slasher myself it definitely is but i can see how it can be classified in there yeah i just thought it was its own thing yeah i don't necessarily enjoy watching halloween i find it kind of boring but i have a hell of a lot of respect for it and i appreciate it and i I would watch it another couple times if somebody has it on i'll sit down and watch it but this one like i'll watch it maybe one more time maybe one one more time time. (laughs) but this one i feel like i would just happily include it in the yearly halloween movie rotation every two to three for me every year for me i love this movie Maybe three. Every three <laughs> Real quick before we wrap it up, I also thought it was super funny after uh, everything seems okay and Nancy's like talking to her mom. She has her mom back and then her mom, she threw out her alcohol and then she's like, they say you've bottomed out when you can't remember the night before. I'm going to quit drinking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just super matter of fact. Like, yeah. I'll share I'm going to quit drinking. Gonna quit drinking. <laughs> she's like, I don't remember shit. <laughs> Yeah, so the the ending was weak, and I I feel like that did knock off a beer for me, but it's also, I feel like it's not the ending that Wes Craven wanted. It's not what he intended to happen. He was super upset about it. Like, that was all Robert Shea. That's not what he wanted. So I I can't really fault him for that. Like, it's just, you only have so much control when the producer is controlling your funding and controlling your every move and what you can actually put out. So it did kind of diminish the movie a little bit for me but only a little bit i think there's two last things i want to add is yeah. one in that documentary thing Wes craven actually mentioned that the reason why he picked elm street was that was the street that john f kennedy was killed on oh shit that's right which i thought i had never heard that before yeah and i was same. like oh that's dark yeah you know also one thing we didn't mention we mentioned how awesome the soundtrack is and everything but one thing we didn't mention is the iconic child chant of one oh, two Freddy's coming for the you. jump rope song yeah the jump rope song i mean that is just iconic it's all good oh out. yeah i had that memorized at like age eight or yeah, yeah. i remember the first time i heard that I, I think i actually found that song and the context of it much more disturbing as a kid because i i yeah. couldn't actually remember watching this movie but once that song came on, I remember thinking about that 
at night as a kid and being afraid about it. Yeah. It was really eerie and creepy. So I just yeah. want to give that a quick shout out. Definitely. Especially from a, you know, like a soundtrack point of view and trying to do something yeah. that captures a movie and the essence of a movie, that did it. I totally agree. That's a great point. I feel like that's a little nod also to just like how dark and sinister some of our most popular nursery rhymes are. Oh, yeah. Or like kids stories, like mm-hmm. the Grimm's fairy tales and the origins of those and really dark stuff. So obviously I love the shit out of this movie. I would consider this like essential horror viewing. So if there's anybody left out there who hasn't seen it, I'm, I'm sure like maybe the younger generation who didn't grow up with these movies maybe haven't seen it yet. You young never. I would recommend this to anybody who wants to get into horror or who hasn't seen it. It really is part of the horror 101. You have to see it. It's a classic. I definitely wouldn't recommend showing it to young kids. Definitely not as young as I was when I saw it. Like I said, that was a gamble. I feel like it's it's a 50-50 shot that you're going to ruin your kid's life if you show them this movie. (laughs) (laughs) For teenagers and older, absolutely must-watch, fantastic. I love it. Like, just how surreal it is, how strange it is. Yeah, that's probably good. Double digits. But just the whole concept of it is... Fantastic. So I'll, I'll ask you first, what would you give this movie on a scale of 0 to 12 beers? I'm kind of struggling with this one because there's things I really liked about it and there's things it, it did a fantastic job on that I've already mentioned. But there's also a lot of things that are not good. The acting is and the screenplay is pretty well atrocious <laughs> as far as dialogue is concerned. Yeah. And then the ending was atrocious. Yeah. So those are three things that were pretty major for me uh, as a deficit that it did very poorly. I yeah. Think. But then the things that it did strong were strong. So I guess I'm going to give it an eight and a half. Eight and a half. Okay. That's not bad. That's a little bit higher than I expected you to rate this one. I was at an eight, but then typically when we go through and we talk about these things, I either realize there's things I liked about it more than I thought it did and then, yeah. or it's worse than I thought. So it went from an eight to an eight and a half. I'm giving it a 10. 10. Yeah. Nice. 10 out of 12. I was going to go higher, but I just couldn't justify it. No. I Like I said, I am a sucker for cheesy 80s horror. I cannot get enough of that shit. But yeah, 10 out of 12 for me. It's an absolute classic. I love it. I love the nightmare sequences. The effects are fantastic. The soundtrack is great. It's a must watch. Yeah. I was almost going to degrade, but I, I stand by. Eight and a half. You got to watch it. So what kind of beer pairs with this? Okay, so for some reason I had a really hard time pairing this with a beer, and then it just like hit me over the head like a sledgehammer. So I think this can only be paired with a coffee porter to keep, keep your ass awake. Don't go to sleep. <laughs> Drink a coffee porter when you watch this movie. <laughs> for sure. I mean, that's the perfect beer for this it's movie. It's the perfect beer. It's also one of my favorite kinds of beer, and this is one of my favorite types of horror movie. Any kind of coffee porter in particular that you'd recommend to the folks out there? There's so many good ones, but... In particular, if you can find it, there was that one I tried uh, several episodes ago. Is by the Harpoon Brewing Company, and it was the Dunkin' Coffee Porter. Oh, I remember that. That was if you, especially if you like chocolate. That was, in my opinion, like one of the best coffee porters I've ever had. If you can't find that one, that Icelandic toasted porter by Einstock. I like that was one a lot. Bomb. Lots of good ones. Uh, Great Divide has a good one too. Coffee okay. porter. Yeah, just Great Divide coffee porter. There's. They're pretty much all good. I haven't had a lot of bad coffee porters, honestly. I think it's kind of hard to fuck that up. You did have yeah. that one that was. That was a salted caramel. That was okay. coffee. Yeah. You were assaulted by. It. I was. Assaulted. <laughs> so this was my pick. Thank you for indulging me in my love of cheesy '80s horror. 
So, what are we watching next time? So, somehow we've just been on a cheesy kick. All right. And we actually just recently watched Planet Terror and this movie, and I don't know, I just, I'm kind of on a cheesy kick right now. Same. So, uh, House of a Thousand Corpses. Yes! I love that one. Fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I've been kind of in the mood for something from Rob Zombie. All right. And cheesy, and I remember initially not liking this as much. Because of how crazy the end gets. Oh, I love that shit. But I'm actually really looking forward to that now. It's fucking bananas. And I think it's one of those things that now that I know what's coming, I'll probably appreciate it more. And there's a a few things in particular that I'm looking forward to discussing. Awesome. Nice. Good pick. I've I've been wanting to revisit that too. I really like that one. That's actually one of my favorite Rob Zombie movies. Yeah. I like it a lot better than Devil's Rejects. I do. I I think I like Devil's Rejects better. Devil's Rejects is objectively a better movie. But that kind of shit deeply upsets me, and I can't watch it. I got you. House of a Thousand Corpses is just good, can't be fun, and I'm here for it. I got you. Nice. Good pick. I'm looking forward to that. I'm drinking a campground beer, and we're going to just keep on watching camp movies. All right. So, as always, you can follow us on Instagram at Blood, Fear, and Beer Podcast. If you have questions for us, or movie or beer suggestions, or if you want to tell us about some creepy-ass nightmares that you've had, you can email us at bloodfearandbeer at gmail.com. And if you get a chance, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And again, just make sure to keep it G-rated if you do decide to leave a review because Apple Podcasts is really strict and they'll pull the review if they see even the hint of a swear they'll word. pull it like Glenn through the bed. Yes. So please be conscious of that. And... You guys have been awesome. I really enjoyed talking about this movie. So thank you for indulging me. Yes, with a hoot. Good pick. Thank you. So until next time, guys, keep it spooky. Keep it spooky.